Romans 3.23. Let's say that together. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Thank you. Be seated. Romans 3.23. As we call your attention to that verse we just said together, this is the verse that we're going to be memorizing over the next few weeks One of the values that we have at our church is the Bible, and we say it like this, God's never-changing word guides us in an ever-changing world. And we ask ourselves this measuring question about whether or not we're truly engaging the value by asking you to do a few things. Are you reading and listening to the word of God? Are you memorizing the word of God? And are you obeying the word of God you know we can't get through this life taking our cues from the culture or even our own wisdom because both of those are flawed so the Bible becomes for us the greatest single indicator of spiritual success people who engage with the Bible become saved people who engage with the Bible become sanctified they become like Christ people who engage with the Bible are ready to disciple someone else and so we're asking you to memorize the Bible with us, and we feel like that's really important. We do a good job with that in Awana, and we kind of stop after we get out of Awana, don't we? And so today we're introducing for you the first ever Judson Baptist Church verse pack. You can pick it up at the Next Step Center, and on it has five verses for you uh, that will comprise uh, the His Story training that we'll be doing tonight. These are perforated. You can tear them off. And every month what we're going to be doing is giving you a different verse pack that will go along with the sermon that we're, uh, or the message that we're uh, kind of entering into. Tonight at 545, I'm inviting all of you and really asking and imploring all of you to come back to church. 545 to 7 tonight. I don't make that appeal often, so you know it must be important. Uh, Jam will be going on, so there's child care. uh, But our students and everybody can be with us, and we invite you to come and be part of this. If you've never learned how to share your story, that's how God affected you. That's how you can interact with somebody and share what God's doing in your life, two minutes or less. If you didn't take that last year, come at 545. We're going to train you how you can share your story in two minutes or less. We have a t-shirt for you, and we'll give you plenty of practice tonight. If you did the My Story training last year, we want you to come at 545 and take His Story training. And these five verses in our verse pack are going to be part of that. And so it's going to be really kind of a special night for us. As we go along through different series in the scripture over the coming weeks, what we're going to do is ask you to memorize a key verse from that series. And so we felt like it would be appropriate as we were talking about 50,000 gospel engagements to be reminded that it is uh, the truth that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so our goal for us is to memorize more scripture than we did last year. If you're here just on Sunday mornings, as we do this next week, there'll be a few less words in there. And so uh, you'll be able to kind of hopefully fill that in. And over four weeks, you'll memorize that verse of Scripture. If you don't ever pick up a verse pack, you'll at least memorize about 12 verses of Scripture this year. Some of you will grab these verse packs, and you'll memorize two or three verses. And there's a minimum of, of kind of five or six on here every time we do one of these. And some of you will say, I want that, and I want to memorize more. And that's the AP option And we don't have advanced placement here because I never took any of those classes. So you'll just have to grab an Awana book and start serving on Wednesday nights. Um, If you have your Bibles, why don't you join us in the book of Acts chapter 9 today. Today we're continuing our series about gospel engagements. I would imagine that last week uh, it would be entirely possible for you to be excited 
after being here and hearing about where we feel like God is leading our church for our Vision Sunday, uh, and uh, by the way, that was recorded and it's being edited out right now, and you should be able to watch that online if you missed it or you're a nerd and you want to go back and relive it again. Uh, either way is fine. Uh, but uh, I imagine that many of you might have been excited and yet confused. What is a gospel engagement? We mentioned it, but I uh, want to just kind of help you with that if you left a little bit fuzzy on that. A gospel engagement really is when we interact with people in the name of Christ. And it can take on the kind of the form of many different things. It can be an act of kindness that you do towards someone where the name of Jesus is mentioned. It can be when you share my story. It can be when you share his story. Uh, when I say my story, I mean your story. Uh, it can be when uh, you take the opportunity to invite someone to church or pray with a hurting coworker, and we're asking you to engage people with the gospel because we're planting seeds. Sometimes we plant the seed, sometimes we cultivate the seed, and sometimes we're just blessed and we get to harvest that fruit of the labor that maybe someone else has worked so hard to do. But either way, we feel like it's really important. As you interact with people, we want you to record your gospel engagements, and there's a couple of ways you can do that. You can do it at the gospel engagements wall. Uh, I did that this week and put in a couple that I had this week. Uh, you can do it on the website. I also did that this week. Or you can use the number that's going to be on the screen behind me in just a second to text that gospel engagement in. Uh, and the last way you can do it is to record it in your life group class. So uh, if you just say, I refuse to participate in technology, God bless you. And you can record it in your life group class. That's totally fine. Uh, the one thing we would ask you to do is we want this number to be real. We're asking God to allow us to engage 50,000 people with the gospel this year. So please don't, you know, like record it in your Sunday school class, text it. You know, you know I mean, there's somebody. There's always somebody, you know. One way, folks, just one way. Uh, each time you have a gospel engagement. Pretty exciting times for us. By now, you're at Acts chapter 9 and verse 1. Let's read this story of how God saved a man named Saul who would later change his name to Paul. And if I get a little confused today in calling Paul when he hasn't yet changed his name to Paul, forgive me. We're talking about Saul, the apostle Paul, and a man named Ananias who God used to engage him with the gospel. Verse 1, Acts chapter 9. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but get up and enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could not see. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without his sight, and neither ate nor drank. And there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias... And he said, Here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And he has seen a vision, a man named Ananias coming 
in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem, and how uh, here he has the authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight and got up and was baptized. And he took food and was strengthened. Saul was an interesting man. He was a man who was running as far away from God as he possibly could. He thought that he was actually serving God. He was an ambitious man. He had grown up in Jewish life as one of the leaders. He was what was called a Pharisee, an expert in the law. And you may remember from earlier in the book of Acts, if you've read Acts chapter, I believe it's uh, 6 and 7, you see Paul uh, interacting with a man named Stephen, who we learned about a few weeks ago when we were ordaining deacons. Stephen, one of the first deacons, was actually killed by people, and Saul was there. The scripture says that they were laying the cloaks that they had. You know, they wanted to really be able to throw those rocks at Stephen, and they'd taken off their cloaks and laid them at the feet of Saul. Saul stood there approvingly of what was going on. So Saul was on a course that would have been going away from Jesus Christ for sure. Saul uh, actually had permission from the high priest, who would have been kind of the linchpin of all Jewish thought, but also all Jewish authority, And he was given permission to arrest anyone found belonging to the way. When the early church started, they were often referred to as belonging to the way because uh, that was a kind of a term of derision uh, given to them when Jesus had said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so they were called followers of the way from Jesus' statement in John chapter 14. It's important to see, I think, this morning uh, from what we see in uh, chapter 9 and verse 1 and 2 here, that it's always been this way so that you're not confused. Uh, When you get after following Christ, it's kind of funny. It's always exclusive and it's always divisive. It's always exclusive when you follow Christ and it's always divisive. You can talk about any religion you want today except Jesus. You can talk about anything that you want to at your office except Jesus. Jesus. You can say that you follow the Dalai Lama, great, not Jesus. You can follow Muhammad, not Jesus. You can follow anybody you want, but not Jesus. You can even say you follow Jesus, but you believe that there are many ways to heaven. But when you start talking about the exclusivity of Christ, now you have a problem. And it's always been that way. Why? Because people are blind to the truth that they need and they reject it. Not realizing that it's the truth of Christ that sets us free. You see, if we expect it and we're ready for it, then we can expect to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. Acts records that Saul was traveling on his way with some people to Damascus, going to a synagogue there. And all of a sudden, it was at this point that God intervened. I don't know if you've ever seen the show Intervention. If you have, or if you've ever been part of an intervention, they're generally ugly kinds of things, aren't they? Uh, generally someone is having an intervention because they are addicted to some substance, drugs, alcohol, and their family and friends 
surround them. And it's kind of funny, right? The person who's about to have the intervention doesn't know what's going on, and they film them, and they think maybe they're filming a documentary, and yet people show up and they say, we love you, and you've got to change your life, and this is an intervention. This is a point of your life where you can change. Well, that's exactly what happened to Saul. He was on the way to Damascus carrying out the business of the high priest and what he thought was most important, and he wasn't looking for God or expecting to meet God on that road, but God had a plan to intervene in his life. In fact, this may be the most famous gospel engagement ever. People often talk about having a Damascus Road experience with the Lord. And what they mean is that God intervened in their life in such a powerful way. And it's funny, we're talking about bluegrass. And one of the most famous bluegrass songs ever written speaks about this. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. It's a changing moment in this man's life. God showed up. And changed his life. He was blinded by God because God was getting his, ten, his attention. And it was this singular moment that would change everything in Saul's life. You know, I don't doubt for a moment that there is someone here today who God is dealing with. And he's trying to intervene in your life even today. And maybe you came today hoping you could get out quickly, get to lunch, maybe catch a little bit of the afternoon sporting events. Or maybe you came to appease a friend or a spouse or your child, or whatever it has, and you don't even realize that you're having to answer the question this morning, the very question that Saul was asking on that road, when he said, who are you, Lord? It's a question all of us have to answer. What we do with Jesus is literally a matter of eternity. It's a matter of heaven and hell. And for all of us, there's an intervening moment where God shows up and speaks to our lives and he asked us, what do you say about me? What are you going to say about me? Jesus asked the disciples this. Do you remember? He said, who do you say that I am? And Peter stepped up and said, I believe you are the Christ, the son of the living God. It's called the good confession. Saul thought he knew God. No doubt he thought he was doing the right thing. He was ambitious in these efforts to stamp out, but he didn't know the Lord. And so before we go any further, I have to ask you, who do you say that he is? It's exclusive. It's divisive. It's never Jesus plus anything. It's Jesus, only Jesus. It's the only way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And if you've never answered that question, I beg you today to answer the question, who do you say that Jesus is? You can try to put it off. You can try to pretend like it doesn't matter, but you're just fooling yourself. It's because a person has to answer this question about the lordship of Christ in their life that we want to engage them with the gospel. When we think about people and engaging with the gospel, we have to remember a few things. There are always two things at work. The first thing that's always at work in a gospel engagement is God. God is always at work. The Holy Spirit is always working to draw people to salvation. God is the one who is mighty to save. He is the one who offers salvation. He is the one who changes a heart. He is the one who saves people. But the second thing at work is people like you and me. When we join God in doing what he is doing, we carry out his plan of salvation. Sometimes there are two, I think, fallacies surrounding the two ideas I just mentioned. It's one, that God is at work in salvation, so I don't have to do anything. It's God's work. He's the one who does it. And it's true. God is the one who saves a person. You can't save yourself. I can't save you. A person can't save you. A person can't, can't even uh, do anything but show you the way to salvation. But that's fallacy number one, is that God is the only person who's doing anything. And we don't have any responsibility. We just sit back and let God do his work. It doesn't work that way. 
Because there's that second part. God has chosen to use us. Now, the fallacy surrounding that is that it's all dependent on me. If I say the wrong thing, I'm going to really mess somebody up. If I don't know what to do, I'm going to mess somebody up. And that's not right. Because it's God who does the saving. Our part is to join him in the intervention of the soul. When you engage someone with the gospel, that is part of the intervention. God uses the seeds that have been planted in people's lives as he intervenes. You know, it's funny. You never know the seed that God's going to use that brings someone to him. And God brings back things from people's memories all the time. What do you think Paul was thinking about, Saul was thinking about when he was hanging out at Judas's house for those three days? I don't know, it's not in the scripture, but I wonder if he thought about Stephen. I wonder if he thought about Stephen, who they had just stoned. and I wonder if he thought about Stephen sitting there saying, Father, forgive them, because they don't know what they're doing. I wonder if he thought about Stephen's message that he had preached. See, you never know when God's going to bring something to your mind. He's going to jog a memory an interaction that someone has had. And so when we speak the name of Jesus, we're engaging people with the gospel. You just have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit because he is already working and he invites us to join him. This week, you know, I've had the opportunity, several of them actually, to have some gospel engagements. Some of them have surrounded hurting people, people who needed someone to listen to them. Someone has had their memory jogged this week and, and contacted me out of the blue. I was able to share the gospel You never know when God is going to use that in someone's life. And so we have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit to be willing to engage people with the gospel. Because when we do, you leave a gospel track with your tip. You're sensitive at the office to listen to what people are saying. You never know when God's going to use that. I think sometimes we fail to realize the Holy Spirit's working all the time as we walk around. And what happens is our lack of belief that God can really change people blinds us to the Spirit's work. God hasn't changed anybody in a long time, so he must not be doing it anymore. I haven't seen it. That's just a lie from the pit of hell. Defeatism. No, the Holy Spirit's working all the time. God's not slack concerning his promises. It's not as if God is not able If he can change you, if he can change me, he can change anyone, right? It's not that God has lost his power. Have we lost our belief? Have we stopped intervening in people's lives? Have we stopped believing that we were part of the gospel engagement? You see, salvation is all of God's work, but for some reason he's chosen us to join him in this work. After he was saved and changed his name to Paul, he later wrote this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 in verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. We're God's ambassadors. We're the ones that God makes the appeal through. The appeal for salvation just comes through us. On the one hand, that's got to be awesome to understand that God would choose us as frail and as flawed as we are to share the message with anyone else. And yet on the other other side of that, it's terrifying, isn't it? That God has placed that responsibility in our lives. Well, it's only terrifying if we believe that he's not at work. It's only terrifying if we believe that he's not doing something through us. We are his ambassadors. We're representing him. We have to pray that God would use us now 
as his ambassadors. It's funny, while God was intervening in Saul's life, he was also speaking to a man named Ananias. When I read this passage, I often wonder why God chose to use Ananias. I mean, it's not lost on me that God spoke to Saul while he's on the road to Damascus. What's the point of Ananias? God can do anything. He could have told Saul all that he needed right there. Why did he choose to use Ananias? Well, obviously he could have done anything that he wanted to, but I think it's important for us to see that there was an engagement here. The gospel is person to person all the time. And as God was dealing with Saul's life, he was dealing with someone else's life. And that's how it is. When I got saved, God was dealing with me, but he was dealing with my mother's life who was speaking into my life, right? When you got saved, God was dealing with you, but he was dealing with someone else who was speaking into your life. That's how it works. Person to person. Look back at this passage in verse 13 again. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard about this man how much harm he did to your, sta- your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So what did Ananias do? It said he departed and entered the house, and after laying hands on him said, Brother Saul, The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ananias was dealing with something that every one of us deals with. Fear. He was nervous. When it comes to gospel engagements, there's a fear to overcome. There's a a sense of what happens when I do this. And Ananias had a legitimate fear. Saul had literally the authority to find anyone who worshipped in the synagogue, who belonged to the way, and arrest them, drag them back to Jerusalem. And he knew what had happened to Stephen, right? Stephen had lost his life proclaiming Jesus Christ. This was a legitimate fear. This this isn't something like, oh, you know, I just don't know how I can do that, or I'm a little worried about what I might say to him. This is like, hey... I know this guy's reputation, and I know that when he shows up, bad things happen to people, Lord. And God said, go. And what did Ananias do? He went. He went. There's always some fear lurking in our minds when it comes to a gospel engagement. Sometimes it's the fear of harm, like Ananias felt. What if I go on this mission trip with Global Focus here at Judson? What if I I take off on this this foreign country, and I get sick or I get hurt or someone tries to take my life. I mean, there's a legitimate fear there. It can happen, right? The gospel's worth it. Sometimes it's the fear of rejection. What if I say something about Jesus to this person and they get angry and tell me they don't want to hear what I have to say? Or what if my friends treat me differently because I share Christ with them? It's worth it. I think most often it's the fear of feeling awkward. What if I do this and it's weird? I mean, what if I walk up to somebody and and I try to engage them with the gospel and it's it's weird? I mean, what if they look at me and, and they don't know what to do with me or they ask me some kind of question that I don't know the answer to? Can I help you with this? I get this one a lot. This is life principle. This is this is actually for this message and then the rest of your life outside of here. If someone asks you a question and you don't know the answer to it, try truth. 
I don't know. I will find out. I mean, that works at work, at home, right? I mean, what do we, what do we, I feel like we're pretending here. Like we have to have all the answers. You don't have to have all the answers. You know the one who has all the answers. There's nothing wrong with, I don't know. Give me a minute. I will find out and I will get back with you. I'll do my best. I mean, that happens when my kids ask me about common core math. How can I do this? I don't know. Siri, what's an inverted fraction? Right? I mean, you, you know, I mean, that's what happens. We, we live with this fear, though. But every time we obey God, risk is involved because we're putting our faith to the test. Do I obey God and trust that he will provide for my family if I tithe? Can he do it? Will he do it? Do I obey God and end a relationship with this person who's not a believer? Do I break off this engagement with this person because God wants me to marry a believer? Do I believe that God will bring a spouse for me? I mean, what do I do with that? You have to obey. Do I obey God when he says, go into all the world? Or do I say, I'm sure glad someone else is doing that, and I'll just give a little more money to Global Focus this year and hope that somebody somewhere somehow speaks to my neighbor because supporting Haiti missions always works in Creve Hall. It doesn't work. You're the missionary there. You're the missionary in Brentwood. You're the missionary in Nashville. You're here for the reason, to be the ambassador for Christ. That's why we were put here. Man, it's hard. You know, it doesn't happen very often to me. But uh, once in a while, over the past few years, I've had this experience. And I, I don't have living grandparents anymore. And it stems from that. Uh, and it started a couple of years ago. A few years ago, uh, around Christmas, uh, just thinking about the legacy of my grandparents and how I don't have them anymore. I was just kind of being a little nostalgic Nostalgia doesn't do anything, though. Do you know what I mean? Like, if, if you're just nostalgic about something, that's just a kind of a warm fuzzy, or you might cry a little bit, or, or whatnot. But I was, I was sitting in a restaurant, and for some reason, I was thinking about uh, my grandparents. And I began to think about honoring their life and their legacy. And uh, we were with our family, and I looked over across the way, and uh, there were some people who would have been maybe about the age of grandparents if I could have grandparents, you know. And the Lord said, I mean, just prompted my heart, you're to buy their meal and bless them today. Okay, that's weird. But we did it. We did it anonymously. Knew that it was what we were supposed to do. I looked for an opportunity for that to happen again this Christmas, and it didn't. I want to obey the Lord whenever he speaks and says, do it and I mean, I ate out plenty this Christmas, and it just didn't happen. It, it wasn't happening. This week, Kathy and I were having lunch, and towards the end of our lunch, uh, the Lord, I guess, let my eyes catch two ladies sitting at a table. And he said, you were waiting at Christmas, now's the time. And I was like, yeah, I don't have time to do that today. I mean, we're, we're about to leave. I need to get back to work. I've got some stuff to finish up. I don't have time. I don't know who their waiter is. The waitress is not serving their table. I'm not going to do it. So we went up to pay our bill, 
And wouldn't you know it, like that one thing Kathy was paying the bill, and I was kind of standing like this, and I kind of, oh, man, I saw our waiter. And here he comes. And I said, hey, do you have that table over there? Yeah, it's mine. I said, would you get me the bill? Yeah. And I was like, all right, we're going to do this, pay the bill, move on. And the Lord said, no, you're supposed to go talk to him. And I was like, nope. That's not how this works. I honor my grandmother, bless somebody. I'm not talking to these ladies because I'm going to walk over there and they're going to look at me like I've got three eyes and I'm from Mars. No, that's not how this works. It's a blessing to someone. The guy brought me the bill. I paid it. And I was like, man, there's the door. I just want to get out of here. Kathy's standing there looking at me like, oh, let's go. She doesn't know what I'm thinking. You know, she doesn't know what's going on. And I'm like, yeah, I'll be uh, just a minute. And I went and just knelt down at this table and I said, hey, you don't know me. And you're not exactly old enough to be my grandmother. So I hope you won't take offense at this. But this is where this comes from. I don't have a grandmother anymore. I want to honor her. But I want to obey the Lord. And he told me to do this. And I always feel better when I obey the Lord. And I hope more than anything today, you're blessed by Jesus. And I got up and tried to walk away. But one of them grabbed me and gave me a hug. You know, as I walked out the door... I had this feeling of being like weird, right? Walking over to a table of people. I don't know. I don't do that. But as I walked out the door, I felt obedience override fear. Okay? I don't know if God does this. Um, and I don't have quite as much hair as I used to, so it's hard to tell. But you ever notice how like when a kid does a good job, you reach down and tussle their hair? That was what it was like today, that day. When you engage people with the gospel, you don't know what God's doing. I don't know why he told me to do that. It wasn't Christmas. I do it anonymously. It's not, that's not what it's about. But when he speaks, you better listen. Ananias had taught me that this week. Because when God spoke to him, what did he say? Here I am, Lord. And God said, go and do. And he said, uh, hey, this is dangerous. I don't like it. And God said, I want you to do it because this person is going to be part of the kingdom. And he went and did exactly what God told him to do. The reason that you're sitting in this church today is because of a man named Ananias. Because Paul was the one who brought the gospel to the Gentiles. Me and you. If you're not Jewish this morning, you're a Gentile. Who are you going to engage with the gospel this week? Are you going to listen to the, to the Spirit speaking to you? Are you going to be willing to feel weird? Are you going to be willing to say, well, I don't, I don't do that. I, I don't, this is out of character for me. And then be willing to say, okay. 
Who are you going to engage with the gospel? As we think about engaging 50,000 people with the gospel, that will not return void. You know why? Because there's a promise attached with God's word. God's word never returns void. When you speak the name of Jesus, you're speaking life. That's the gospel. Paul said it this way, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. Let's ask God to do a work this week. Father, we ask that you would move our hearts to engage in the gospel. And I ask for the one who's here who hasn't yet answered the question, who are you, Lord? That today they would receive by faith your grace. Father, you're intervening in their lives, and I know it, just like you intervened in our lives. Let today be the day of salvation. Father, empower us to be bold in our testimony that when we speak the name of Jesus, we would know that the power of the gospel has been brought into someone's life. And we ask this in his precious name. Amen.